0: The Beat Church, bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Um, Just point out that next week... July 2nd is our Super Sunday, and we are going to have the best fireworks show ever. Uh, we're going to have these three ladies speaking next week. Uh, they're going to do a, a three, like, boom, 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 just like fireworks. Is one, two, just bam, 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 like short kind of micro messages next week. So you don't want to miss it. Uh, it's going to be awesome if you've heard any of those ladies speak Uh, It's amazing. And they're going to all go together uh, next week. It's just going to be an awesome time. So we're going to start a new series on abiding and finding freedom in Christ through abiding in the Lord. And they're going to kick that off with their own personal experience and their own personal kind of walk and journey through that experience. And so uh, very valuable. All have different personalities, different communication styles. So just be ready. Be ready. Because they're all definitely uh, fit to firework uh, show uh, motif. They're all very powerful and great things to say. So uh, let's bow our heads and pray. We're going to get in the word. And just believe that God's going to uh, help you get some freedom today and help you actually take some steps in your life that are going to help move you forward in what God's called you to do. Amen. Lord, thank you for this day. I pray that each person here would be uh, able to receive God. Let this word fall on good soil. God, as your word says, that it will not return void, but it will accomplish the work that it sent it out to do. So I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, We're talking a little bit about David and Goliath today, but more than that, if you don't know the story of David and Goliath, the story is that there was an army of a nation of the Philistines, and they were uh, actually uh, oppressing, taking over uh, Israel and had been their enemies for a long time, kind of their arch enemies. And so they had actually sent out a giant named Goliath, and this giant was intimidating everybody and basically kind of looking for a one-on-one. Like, you send out somebody to fight me, and if I beat them, then our side wins, and if you beat me, then your side wins, rather than having all of us fight together, and we'll just do this a one-on-one, and you send out your best, and I'll be my best. So that was kind of what was going on, and Goliath was intimidating everybody, and so nobody wanted to fight, David comes, and he actually wasn't a part of the army. He was a a shepherd out in the field. He was left behind. He was the smallest, the youngest, the littlest of his family. And so he comes and he sees what's going on, and everybody's being intimidated, and everybody's standing back, and nobody's taking action. And this is where this story picks up as he gets ready uh, to to go into this fight. It says, David says to the Philistines, he's talking about the giant, he says, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, into the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So everybody else is afraid. And here comes this little shepherd kid. And he looks and he's like, you know what, I see this, but you're coming against me with natural things, and I'm going to come against you with the power of the Lord. Okay, so that's faith, right? If you have faith, right, you can do great things. So we hear a lot about faith, but the actual title of this message is that Your faith will not slay your giants. Okay, so there's more to David's story than his faith, and that's what we're going to get into. Oftentimes, like, well, if you have enough faith, well, you can do it by faith. Well, if you just have, well, I'll just tell you that faith will not slay the giants in your life. The big struggles, the hard things that you're going through, the difficult circumstances you're trying to overcome, faith is not your answer, Doesn't mean it doesn't play a role, it doesn't mean it doesn't play a part, but it is not going to win your battle for you. It's going to be more than that, it's going to be different than that, it's a piece, but it's not the whole story, and so we're going to end up breaking that down. But it says, as the Philistine moved, this is the next slide, uh, moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground, and so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Okay, so that first passage talks about his heart posture, the position of his mind and his heart and his spirit was faith. My God can give me the victory, right? How many people in you have faith that God can give you victory in a certain area of your life? Faith. Okay, he has it. God can help me with my finances. God can help me with this relationship. God can help me with my health. God can help me with whatever the situation might be, right? My addiction, with my mentor, my my emotional stability. Like, God can help me. God can help me with my marriage. God can help me with my parenting. God can help me with my school. Like, I have faith. I believe. Okay, that's great, but there's a lot of people that have faith and that believe, and they're still struggling and still fighting the same battle one year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years in, and they're not getting victory, so, if that's the case, then it must take more than faith. Well, maybe it takes more faith. Well, I don't think biblically that you can make that case because Jesus said that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, which I actually have about 100 mustard seeds in my office, and do you know how big they are? They are like, if I held one up, you could not even see it. They're so tiny. They're just teeny. Like they're in a, in a little plastic package sealed and then they're attached to a little cardboard thing. And you have to like hold it up and like really look at it just to see them in that, in that thing. He says if you even have that much faith that you can move a mountain. So I need more faith in order to win. I don't think that's true. I don't think you can make a biblical case for that. I think that the faith you have, if it's faith in the Lord, that it's already enough faith. So now I've got faith. What else do I need? Right? I'm going to make a taco. I got a tortilla. What else do I need? I need something else. Not just a thing that holds it all together, but I need something that goes in it. I need something else happening in order to actually have that. So there's something more we're talking about that's going to go in. And this is what David does in the second part. It says that he moved closer to attack him. He ran quickly towards the battle. He reached in. He grabbed a stone. He slung it. What is that? That's not a heart posture. What is it? Action. Action. He did something with his faith. He actually went about doing something. Like, I'm going to do something. I believe, and therefore I act. I'm going to do. I'm going to move forward. That's where he went to. He moved from faith to action. And so there's faith plus action is what gave him victory. It wasn't just faith. He put his faith on the line because he really believed, and so he went after it. And that's how he got his triumph. James chapter 2, 14-17. to 17. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds. What's a deed? A deed's an action. It's a work. Like, I have faith, but I don't have action. Well, what good is that? Well, it's a rhetorical question. The point he's making is that it's useless. It doesn't mean anything if you have faith, but you don't have action. He says, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed. But he does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In other words, you know what? Jacob comes up to me, he's talking to me, he says, man, I've really got a need. He says, I can't, you know, provide for this thing, and I'm struggling, I've, this happened, and I got, and I said, you know what, I just, man, I believe for you that you're going to have food tonight. Well, I don't have any food, I don't have any money, this terrible thing happened, you know, well, but I believe for you. God bless, my faith is with you. My faith is not going to feed him. It's not. I say, well, brother, sometimes we need to fast, it gets us closer to Jesus, I think your circumstance is pointing you towards God wanting you to fast and give up food for a time. I've been doing that for a week. I'm going to die. My faith is... No, I should give him something to eat. And what does that do? That takes my faith, puts it into action. It combines it with his faith because it took faith from him to confess vulnerability Right? And to say I have a need in faith believing that God could send somebody in his life, that somebody would respond with love and care to help him. It takes faith on my side to to help provide. And now we're both in a place of depending on this way that God works through giving and receiving for it to actually benefit both of our lives together. And so we're both putting our faith to action, but it says you can't just say go in peace and he does nothing. It says, What good is that? In the same way faith by itself is not accompanied by action, it is dead. It's useless. Okay, our world suffers from a lot of people who have faith, but don't have action. A lot of people that put great posts online that are encouraging, inspiring, and faith, but there's not an action behind it. We say it, but we don't necessarily do it sometimes, and so there's not an action that's that's following. We do it in our own lives sometimes. I have faith, but am I doing this thing? And so... This other verse in James 2, 18, 19 says someone will say you have faith and I have deeds. Okay, you have faith and I'll do the work. Like it's a a shared thing. But he says show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So your deeds actually, your works actually show if you really believed. If you actually really believed that. There's a story that one of my pastors used to tell all the time about a guy, it's a true story, about a guy that had a wheelbarrow and they put a rope across the Grand Canyon, not the Grand Canyon, but across the Niagara Falls. And they used to allow you to do this kind of weird stuff, like anything for a show, right? Pay a few bucks to see something. And they just strung a rope across this, the Niagara Falls. And he had a wheelbarrow, and he would have a crowd there. You know, this like back in the days of Houdini and all these people doing all these wild things with, like, no safety and stuff, the good old days. And so there's this rope. He's got a wheelbarrow. And he says, who believes that I can walk this wheelbarrow across this rope without falling in the water and dying? And everybody raised their hand. We've, oh, yeah, we know. We've heard. We know you can do that. Who believes I could put somebody in here and I could wheel them across and get us both safely to the other side? Everybody's like, yes, we believe. And he says, great. Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow and I'm going to wheel you across? <laughs> and nobody gets in. That's the difference. faith that really believes has no problem getting in the wheelbarrow. David had faith that really believed, so he had no problem getting out in front of the giant. He believed. He believed that he would have victory. So when we believe something that God has put in his word, when we believe something God's called us to do, then the actual next normal, logical step would be that we take action on it. If I'm standing in the road and a car's coming my wife yells out, you're going to get hit. And I look. And there's a car coming. And I believe that that car is more powerful than me. And that if it hits me, I will probably lose. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to jump out of the way. Because I really believe that. And so faith produces action. It produces activity, both good and bad. If you really believe in God's provision and you believe in his word and how he says to handle things, you're going to do it that way. If you believe in what? the world and the culture view is, or what the devil's view is, then guess what? In fear, you're going to respond the same way. One example would be giving. The Bible says give, you'll receive, right? That the generous soul will prosper. It talks about that. But the world says to keep and to hold and to take care of yourself first. Well, if you believe the world more, then you're going to keep and hold. If you believe God more, then you're going to give and be generous to those in need. So which one do you fall on? See, these are things like, how am I really living? And so in James, he says that. He says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even demons believe that and shudder. It's one thing to believe. It's something else to go beyond that. James 2.20-22, 20 it says, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his his faith was made complete by what he did. He believed God would not take his son. He believed that God was saying, would you give this up? And he believed that God had given, and that God would not take away, and that God would bless him, and God would be with him. So he took action. He went up the mountain. He said, Lord, if that's what you're saying, fine, but I know you'll raise him up because you've given him to me. This is part of your promise. And so he believed, and he followed it through, and God made a way out and gave him a way of escape. And so he showed it through his actions. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm not going to read it, but it's a great chapter on faith. But you go through there, and it gives kind of a history of all of these different greats of the faith. Abraham and Noah and Moses, and it goes through all these people. And it talks about them, and it says that they did this, and because of their faith, they did that, and then God did this. And you go through each one, and there's a faith, and guess what? There's an action, and then there's God's provision, God's blessing, God fulfilling His promise. And you just read Hebrews 11, and all these things are happening, and one after another after another, God is speaking a word. Somebody's receiving it and believing, it, and then they're doing something with it, and then God's bringing through a victory. And so faith and action are all the way through that. So what is faith? So the actual word here is a Greek word, and it's um, pistis, pistis, pistis. I don't know. Let's just say it starts with a p and it ends with an s. But there you go. But this is what it means. It means to be persuaded and to come to trust. So sometimes faith we think of almost like, um, you know, this positive affirmation and, like, I've got to just, like, I've got to focus on it enough. It's almost like a meditation and a manifestation thing. Like, if I just have faith, i got to visualize and see and believe. That's not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is simply trust. It's deep, complete, and absolute trust in the person who's spoken their word. It means that if you've told me something and I know you and I believe you, that I don't need to get papers out and sign and do a contract and have an attorney. I know you. I know your word. I know it's true. And so faith is to believe God, to know his character, and to believe his word, that when he says something, you're like, okay, that's true, and it's true enough for me that I'll act on it. I'll live on that. I'm going to take that to heart. I'm going to do it. So it turns into action because it trusts the wisdom, the character, and the power of the person that's in authority. Like, I know this to be true. I know my God. I know he's faithful. I know if he's spoken it, it's true. And I know that I can act on it. I know I can live on it. I know it'll happen. Okay, that doesn't always work. In our lives, it's hard for us to trust sometimes. You know, I've got kids, and my kids are awesome. And one of my sons, <laughs> I tell you, trash goes out before you leave. Yes, sir. Absolutely, sir. What do you think my odds are of the trash going out before he leaves? If I'm not there to observe. Thirty percent—that's probably pretty close, but maybe a little lower. <laughs> if I'm there, the odds go way up. But if I walk up there and I say, "Good, gotcha," and the reason is always the same: I was going to do it. I was—I was, I was going to do it. We all were going to do it. But that is that. So there's—but that is, I don't know that that's a, a good word. It's other things, word is very, very strong on. But that's one where it's like, I don't know. Well, with God, are we saying, can I trust your word? Can I trust when you say something that it's real? And if not, I'll just tell you this, then you're probably in the wrong place. If you don't believe God's word, then you probably shouldn't be serving him. That's a heavy, that's a big thing. But if you don't believe him, okay, if I'm in a relationship with somebody and I don't believe anything that they say, I probably shouldn't be in that relationship. It's not safe. If I, somebody wants to start a business partnership with me and I don't trust what they say, why would I do a business partnership? Well, how much of a bigger deal is it that somebody's wanting to make an eternal partnership with you, a deep relationship, of relationship and connection, and for you to live off of their word if you don't believe them? Yeah. So the first thing to wrestle is with, do I really believe God or not? If you do, then it needs to affect your actions. It needs to affect my actions. If you don't, then you need to rethink whether or not you really should be making a decision to follow him. Is this really where I want to be? Is this really where I want to put my life? And really think that through. Make the decision for yourself so you can have it real and have it solid if it's going to be there. But what I want to talk about is wounds and bitterness, anger, uh, finances, all the big stuff because these are giants that we face. And so... I want to start out with these, only because we're in Texas. I could never do this in Washington. Um, but this—anybody know what this is? Anybody recognize that? So that is a shotgun shell. Um, this is this is a 302. Am I close? No, I'm not. Okay, it's it's a bullet. This is another one. Notice something about these. As you look, look at that one. And we got this one, and we got this one, and we've got this one. And look, that one would probably be cute to get shot with. Look how tiny it is. It's a little baby. It's a little teeny one. Look at those. Why do we need different kinds of bullets? What's the purpose? Different function. What's that? Different kind of animals, right? I'm not going to go. Anybody bear hunter? You going out with that? Probably not a great plan. Maybe a rabbit. Maybe. That's a bit, that's tiny you got to find the right thing to match up with what you're going after, right? That's what you want to do. What is it that I need in order to get this one? Okay, well, that's what we're talking about because, you know, stones were the same way. So the Bible talks about David grabbed five stones. He grabbed these stones, and he went out to fight with them. And we think, oh, it's just random. He just randomly grabs a stone. He doesn't know what he's doing. This is like a trained killer with a sling. He's killed all kinds of animals. He's fought and defended sheep. And back then, stones were kind of the precursor to bullets. They really were. The Romans used them. They were actually more used. They were were thought of as a better weapon in battle than even arrows. Because arrows were actually, you could see them coming. So you could see where the enemy was, which then you could flank, move your positions. And if somebody got shot with one, you could see where the arrow was. So then you could actually know where to pull it out and to work on it. So the preferred weapon, a lot of times, even with the Roman army, was actually slings because the, the stones, the bullets were smaller. You couldn't see where they were coming from. They actually had longer range than the old bows. People could throw them farther. And they had all different sizes and different types. They actually had stones. If you research it, they actually had stones that they would drill holes through the middle, and they would make it just like this one, which is a hollow point. So a hollow point is made that way so that when it hits, it actually spreads out and breaks apart causes more damage. They actually would drill stones and have hollow point stones for their slings so that when they slung them, when they hit, they would actually break apart and cause more damage on the enemy. And the other effect of the hole that they actually drilled in there is that it made them whistle. It actually just made them whistle because they love music. No, it made them whistle because imagine if you're the enemy and you're over there and you look up and all of a sudden you just start hearing all these whistling Stones flying at you. That's pretty terrorizing. You know, the Irish had their bagpipes, and the Romans had their whistling stones they would throw. But they were meant to strike fear and to create, like, a psychological damage before they even got in the fight. So the stones had much more thought put in them. Two people thought about this, thought, what am I doing with it? What am I killing with it? Who am I going after with it? What's the purpose of it? What are we trying to do? They had stones that they actually heated up in the fire so that when they slung them, they would sling them into things that were wood or into trailers with thatch on them or into houses with thatch on them in order to catch the enemy's places on fire. And so there was more thought put into what's going to use. So David, when he's grabbing these stones, David has some knowledge of stones. He has some knowledge of fighting. He's looking around. He's picking stones he knows are the right size. He's not going to walk out up to Goliath and find like a little stone and just fling it. Ooh, got him! He's looking for a big, heavy stone that's the right shape to sink in when it hits its target, and that's heavy enough to cause damage. So that when he throws it, he can actually take this guy down. There's some thought, there's some preparation, there's some skill that goes into it, and then action taken. Okay, what's that have to do with this? This has to do with when we're taking down our giants, is that we should take our stones, we should take the things that the Bible gives us as weapons against the enemy, and we should know what we're using. And we should know what we're throwing at it. And we should take that action in order to defeat it, in order to bring it down. So this is the first one. This is a giant that many people face in their life, in church settings, in life settings, period. And that's wounds, bitterness, anger. Something's happened, either from someone in the church, or from someone in your family, or somebody at work, or from yourself. You're bitter and angry at yourself for something you've done. There's this thing just sitting in there, and it's this giant, and you try to face it. But when you see that person, or you see that situation, or you're reminded of that thing that you did... Whatever it is, this wound comes back, this anger comes back, this bitterness comes back, and all of these things start to come back into your heart. And you have to face it over and over. And it's a giant. What does a giant do? Well, what he did with David and the Israelites is that they stood, and there was a valley between the two armies, and basically what he did was, like, you can't come over here. This is where God wants you to go, but you can't come over here because you're being intimidated. You're living in fear, you're living in a wound, you're living in anger, you're living in bitterness, you're a giant that's intimidating. It'll keep us from moving forward into whatever it is that God's calling us to do. We won't participate in an activity because that person could be there. We won't go to this thing because people might remember the mistake that we made, whatever it is. But there's an inability to move forward because we're being intimidated and afraid because of what's gone on. And so what do you do with that? Well, Colossians 3.12 is a stone that we can throw, and there's multiple stones. Forgiveness is one. Humility is one. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. It's coming humbly before God and saying, you know, I've made a mistake, or they've made a mistake, but I also know I've made them. Kindness. You know, pay it forward. Remember where we were brought from. Remember the pit, the Bible says, from which we were dug. I came from mistakes. I came from problems. And forgiveness. So Colossians 3.12-14 through 14 covers some of these. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself with it. Why? Because you're going to need it. Why are you going to? When you go outside in Texas, you're going to clothe yourself in what today? Shorts and flip flops, right? Swimsuit, something. Why? Because you're going to need it out there, right? Well, you probably don't even need that, but if you wear anything less, you're going to get in trouble. Okay, somebody's going to be calling the police. But you need at least that, the bare minimum, because it's hot. Okay, in the winter, we lived in Bend, and it's 30 degrees out, and the wind's blowing. We're going out there, and we got scarves on and hats on, and we got all these things on. Because why? Because you need it. So clothe yourself, why? Because the environment you're in needs it. That's why. That's why you have to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Because people around you are going to try your patience, Get you to want to do something ungentle to them, whatever that might be, because they're in your environment, right? You're going to feel better than them and proud because you look at them and think you're better. So you're going to need humility. You're going to need kindness because you want to do something unkind. You're going to need compassion because you have no heart for their situation, and so it's saying you need these clothes because your environment's gonna challenge all of these feelings. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone else, why do we need to do that? Why? Because we have a grievance. This person's caused a problem. This person's created an issue for me. I've gotta forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that's the pay forward part. He's saying, remember, you came from a place of needing forgiveness. Now forgive. Well, I know, but I, I never did what they did. In the sight of the pure holy and perfect God who knows no sin, no unkindness, no wrongness, no evil, no wickedness, in comparison to him versus you, whatever your offense was is far greater than the offense of this other person who is only being compared, you're comparing them to yourself because you have sin, you have mistakes, you have problems, maybe not as bad as theirs, but in comparison, the gap between God and you was much larger than the gap between you and them. And so we all look and say, okay, if God forgave me, I can forgive them. I can do this. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's got to be done not just because it's the right action, but because it's coming from a right heart. I'm going to love. I'm going to care. And so we have to be willing to not only believe that God can create unity, not only believe that God can forgive, not only believe that God loves us, but we have to take action. Not only believe that God can deliver us from the pain and the suffering, the wound of of being hurt, or the regret of having done something wrong, but to take action is to then forgive, is to ask forgiveness, is to to actually engage that situation with the heart of God i got to not just pray about it and believe for it because it ain't changing. It's been one month, two months, three months, one year, two years, three years, and I feel the same. Why? Because i got to step out now and I've got to engage. And I've just got to forgive. But I don't want to. When will justice come? i got to forgive. i got to leave justice in the hands of God. i got to move forward so that I can be free, so that they can be free. It's actually throwing the stone. It's doing the act and believing that God, according to his word, will make things right. What about financial stress? It's another giant that we face. A few stones that can be thrown for that. It's not just faith. I believe God's going to pay my bills. Oh, I'm struggling, but I'm believing and trusting God. You can believe and trust God, you can end up on the street. I've taken hamburgers and food down to a lot of homeless people that are believing and trusting God. And guess what? They're alive. So God's meeting them. God's sending somebody by with a hamburger, God's sending somebody by with something. There's an open door to go get some food at the place. But is that where God's perfect plan and his desires for them to be? Not always. So, there's a point of believing and saying I believe he's going to help me, but there's the other point of acting and doing. So, what does it say Proverbs 10:4? Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. I'm going to believe God's word that he's with me and because I know he's with me and he provides for me and I know that he's going to take care of me, then I know if I'm diligent that God will actually bring about something good out of my labor and my work. I know that God will be with me. I know that God will bless my labor. I know that God will touch my work. I know that God will cause me to prosper. And so that's why I have the faith to take the action of applying myself. Well, why would I apply myself? They never see me. I never get the promotion. I always get looked over. This world never benefits anybody. It's always about the man upstairs, the big boss. Well, who's your faith in? Do you believe more in the enemy's ability, in culture's ability, in your boss's ability to hold you back from prospering if you put your hand to the plow and you're diligent? Or do you believe more in God's ability to see the work that you're doing in secret and to reward you openly as the Bible says he will do? I can work. He says, don't serve as unto man, but do your work diligently as unto the Lord that God who sees all things done in secret will reward you openly. Do I believe that more or do I believe more of what all my coworkers are saying that you can't get ahead anyways? Who cares? Just quiet, quit, just put in part-time, just don't worry about it. Nobody's going to see your work and it's not going to matter. I don't believe that. I believe that if I put my, my work in, that just like this says, that the diligent hand brings wealth, that God will show me how to be able to build up wealth and to prosper. So I take action accordingly. Proverbs 11.24, one person gives freely, it gains even more. Another withholds unduly if it comes to poverty. The world says to keep, but this says if I hold, I come to poverty. If I give, I'm blessed. And so I'm actually believing that. I believe that. So I give. Not just to church, I give to others. I give when it doesn't make sense. I give, why? Because I'm doing the diligence, I'm throwing that stone, I'm working, trusting God, and the other part of it is that I also believe he wants me to give, so I'm giving and I'm trusting for him to take care of me. And if none of that works, I'm in the wrong faith anyway. And I would rather know now. I'd rather work hard and be generous and come to nothing, and I can go, do you know what, God, I guess I'm screwed. None of this works. At least I know. Or apply myself and do it and walk it through and say, do you know what, it works and I can trust God and God continues to walk. It doesn't mean I don't go through hard seasons because I've been through them. But I come out on the other side, and God's always brought blessing. He's always brought strength. I've gone through hard season because I needed to work on something in my life, my character, or let other people see me go through a storm so they knew that God can be trusted in any circumstance. But he's always brought me out on the other side. And so by taking action, I find out, you know, if you, anybody here buy lottery tickets? Okay, close your eyes. <laughs> Does anybody in here buy lottery tickets? Okay, be blessed. I don't think you're going to not get into heaven because you scratch the lottery ticket, especially if you won and tithed off it. My goodness, my Lord. No, that's a joke. There was a lady. Do I have enough time to sidebar? Probably not. There was a lady. She won 20 She put $20 in a machine, Won off it, gave some of it, came back, gave a testimony. I gambled. I got money. I gave, and I gambled again. God blessed me back twice as much. It was awesome. We called it a confessimony. It's like a mixture. But there is this principle of my taking action to do this, whatever it be. And Contentment's another stone to throw at these financial stresses. I can be content. I don't have what that person has, and I can be content. They have a nicer car than me, a nicer truck. They have more hair. They have whatever it might be. <laughs> and I am content in what I have. I'm content in my spouse. I'm content in my family. I'm content in my home. Can I work towards more? Maybe, but I am content right now with what i have that's a stone to throw a couple of verses one more verse on that first timothy 6 6 through 9 but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money not money the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. He's given a warning. If you're chasing money and love money, you're going to pierce yourself through with many griefs. He's not even saying I will judge you for loving money in this verse. He's saying you will pierce yourself through with many griefs. You're going to get into a race to get and to attain and not find satisfaction. I need more. Not find satisfaction. I need more. And something's going to go wrong. You're going to lose some. And then you're going to be distressed because you're putting your hope in something that is not stable. Yeah. And you're going to suffer. One of the griefs might be that you get extremely wealthy and then realize it, 60 years old that you didn't know any of your kids. That you don't know your wife. That you have no one to come to your funeral or to enjoy your wealth with you. And suddenly you spend the last 20 years of your life in grief because you can't go back. So he's saying you're going to pierce yourself through with these things, so stop chasing that. Be content. Be diligent. Prosper. Give. Help. Bless others. And be content. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Do you believe these things? Worry and anxiety. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you think about these things. Well, I worry. Okay, that's a giant. I believe God can deliver me. But are you doing the things that he's saying? What's the other stones here? With what? Thanksgiving. But I can't give thanks. It's not done yet. It doesn't say that. It says to pray and give it to God and then start giving thanks. What is that? That's saying, you Philistine, you can't defeat me. And then what did David do? He started throwing stones. I'm going to start throwing thanksgiving at this situation. I'm going to start thanking God. I'm going to start giving God glory. I'm going to start being happy, even though it hasn't happened yet. I'm going to start living in the peace, even though the storm hasn't calmed yet. I'm going to start having gratitude. And then I'm going to choose to set my mind on things that are good, right, noble, pure. I'm going to purposely have these thoughts and intentionally choose what I think about. But this hasn't changed yet. I haven't found a good relationship. I haven't gotten my bills paid. I haven't found whatever it's the anxiety and the worry. Culture hasn't changed yet. We're still in a difficult time with this or a difficult time. I've chosen to throw the stone of gratitude, and I've chosen to set my mind on the right things. I'm getting up every day and I'm throwing that stone. I'm gonna to continue to do it. This last one, faith, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. what we're gonna end on. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's what faith is. Faith is trust. Can you trust in the Lord enough to take action? In all your ways, submit to him. What is that? That's action. And he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but I don't see how this works. But do you believe him enough that if he says, this is the way, go this way that you'll do it. My sheep hear my voice. It says, this is the way, walk in it. Do you believe him? Enough to take action in your life that way and go that direction. I don't wanna forgive. I don't wanna work hard. It's never worked before. I don't want to trust. I don't want to not have anxiety. I don't want to be thankful. I don't want. Can you do it and believe that God's going to work it out? Can you do it? Can you take action? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. That's the reason that he wants you to do it. Because it will bring health to your body, to your mind, to your emotions, to your soul, to your bones. If you do that, it will benefit your heart and your life. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this time. And I just ask that you would, God, let us fall on good soil, Father. Lord, I pray that each person, Lord, would receive from you, God. And that they would be able to, whatever area it is that they need to move forward. Lord, whatever areas they need to couple their faith with action, that, Lord, they'll do it. Lord, that they will have the the courage to do it. Lord, the trust in you to just do it, whether it makes sense or not. Lord, to just do it and move forward in that area so that their giant that they're facing, God, can be taken down. And they will no longer be held back from moving forward into the areas that you're calling them to move, Lord. No longer be intimidated or living in fear. But, Lord, they'll be set free. Father, I thank you for it. God, I pray be with each person today. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.